Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A tour of the parenting perils of yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane. Hello, Jen. How's it going? Pretty good. Got a cold. <laughs> oh, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's. I think that this is just what happens now in my life. It's wintertime. I have two kids in daycare. And yeah, we're just all going to sound like this for, you know, the next few months, which is unfortunate for our listeners, but <laughs> eh. <laughs> I'm sure they understand. Yes. <laughs> if you have kids, you know what I'm experiencing. <laughs> Chuck and the baby have both had a cold in the past oh, week no. or two, oh. and I, I have managed, I better knock on some wood, I have managed to escape it thus far. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Babies with colds are the saddest thing. I know. Oh, did she have a stuffy nose? Stuffy nose, Oh, yes. no. That's that's the worst, because then you just, mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I had, I had a mom moment that I was going to share, but I'm going to share a different one because I just remembered it. <laughs> Oh my god, okay, wonderful. I'm so excited. Okay, so I kind of want to tell you both of them because they feel sort of like related. <laughs> All right. I mean, we make the rules. So. That's right. <laughs> Two mom moments from me this week. <laughs> we went down to visit my in-laws uh, this past weekend. And on our ride down there, we we have a Chrysler Pacifica's big minivan, which is hilarious. The day I got the minivan, I was like, well, that's it. My life is over. Now I have a minivan. And so my son, Joey, is sitting behind me in the minivan. And he's got like little cup holders that are part of his car seat. And he starts whining a little bit. He's like, Mom, I have something in my nose. And I was like, do you need to blow your nose? And he was like, no, no, no. It's not. It's not. It's not. It was like, you don't have snot in your nose? What do you have in your nose? And then he just like clams up. He doesn't want to tell me. Oh, no. What's in his nose? Because he can tell that I sound irritated. (laughs) And so he's like, nothing, never mind. So I turn around and I'm like, Joey, what's in your nose? He's like, nothing, it's fine. Did you put something in your nose? Yes. Where did you get it? From the cup holder. Okay. Joe, pull over. (laughs) So so my husband like pulls over to the side of the road and I go into the back and I look up into his nose and I don't see anything. How do I, And he's like, it hurts, it hurts. And I was like, how do I get this out of his nose? And all I could think was, I have to suck it out of his nose. Oh, my God. So I put my mouth over his nose and sucked in really hard. And it was this little piece of, like, plastic. You know the stuff that, that um, sort of, like, adheres mailings together it's like a strip of glue oh yeah it was like that but it was like a little piece and it was way up in there and it was so it was like one of the most disgusting things i've ever done in my life and he was just like thanks mom and joe was like that was weird (laughs) it was like well i didn't want to bring to the hospital this was easier, no, right? Because imagine the bill for an emergency room visit, and all they would do is use an instrument to get it out. Yes. Yeah. They would have used something that sucked it out or something to, like, you know, so, oh my goodness. But it was very, it was very intense. I can't believe <laughs> <laughs> it would have never occurred to me to do that. 
But in the moment, when I'm looking at his nose and I'm like, I can't see it. I don't have anything to reach in there with safely. How can I get it out? The first thing that occurred to me was just suck it out with your mouth shut. <laughs> so I don't know. This, this is like where my life is now. So the second thing that happened is two days later, my daughter had food poisoning, and it was the most horrifically pathetic, sad, miserable experience. Miserable twenty four hours Ugh. of either of our existences. It was awful. And my in-laws took the brunt of it because she slept in their room overnight, which is when the majority of the sickness happened. Oh, no. So they were very, very gracious and took very good care of her overnight. In the morning, she woke up and she said, my belly still hurts. I said, okay, it may be because you're very hungry because you have nothing left in you. Would you like some toast? And she said, yes, I think I'd like some toast. So I got her some water. And I sat the water next to her and she sat there and I went and I made some toast. And it had been like maybe two hours since she had thrown up last. And so I was like, I think she's probably past it. I'll bring her the toast and she'll, you know, recover over the course of the day. So I have this plate with a piece of toast on it. I bring it up to her. I'm holding it in my hands. I put it out in front of her face so that she can take it from me. And she throws up on it. (gasps) Oh, no. And she looks up at me with tears in her eyes and she goes, do I still have to eat the toast? (laughs) I was like, no, sweetheart. You don't have to eat the toast. Oh my God. God. So she just like, mama, like curled up in my lap. And I was like, oh my God, this is the worst. So two, two hilarious, disgusting health issues. For the last few days for me. <laughs> oh my god, poor baby. I oh, know. so gross. Food poisoning is not fun when you're an adult. I no. can't. Mm-mm. She she was like, "Am I ever going to not be throwing up again?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, no. yes." She was like, "Will this ever end?" So, why don't you delight me with your mom moment, which is hopefully not nearly as disgusting as my too. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's pretty short. I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but in real time, this is uh, soon after Thanksgiving. And uh, my daughter had her first Thanksgiving, which was very, very sweet. We put her in a little outfit with a turkey on it, and it was really cute. And uh, it was it was quite an eventful weekend for her because we go to my father's house, which is like an hour and 10 minutes away. And so we drove there. We spent the whole day there. I slept over there with her so that she could go to bed at her normal bedtime and not have to be in the car. And then we drove home the next day. And then that evening, we drove down another hour or so uh, to visit my friend because his mother had not yet met her. So she was in the car a lot. She was traveling a lot. And she was such a trooper. She did a really good job. Oh, what a good girl. Yeah. I was just really happy. And she's she just really likes to be around people. I mean, obviously, she gets she gets overstimulated at a point, as all babies do. But for the most part, she really likes to be out and about. Like, after, like, two or three days of us kind of lugging her around to different places, and then we had a little Friendsgiving at our house the following day, and so there were just people everywhere. She was really fine for the most part. So. Oh, that's great. I I'm so grateful that my kids are all really social because – I don't think I could cope with with having a, a baby that I needed to like protect from people all the time. I know. So it's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, she went through this weird phase when she was like maybe like five and a half months old, six months old, like like a little over a month ago, where she just got really attached to me and didn't want anybody else to hold her. And when I would drop her off, when I would drop her off at my aunt's house, she would like, my aunt watches her every week. She's known my aunt since she was born. Yeah. She would have like a conniption when I was leaving the house and would cry for like an hour. Oh. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, if this is the way she is from now on, this is going to be terrible <laughs> because I, I do work a lot and she has to stay with a lot of different people. Yeah. It's not always the same person. And luckily she seems to have grown out of it and oh, she's great. happy again. Oh, good for her. So, Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So tell me, tell me all about your topic for this week. So I want to preface this by saying that my, this is not what I originally planned to do today. I was going to try to do the history of adoption. Oh, interesting. Which turned out to be much larger than I had anticipated. And I discovered something in my research that uh, I, that I actually had heard about a while ago, but it came up again as I was researching adoption. And it was something that when I first heard it, I found really fascinating. So I decided to kind of dive into that and, and just focus on on this. So I am going to do the story of Georgia Tan. Okay. Do you know who that is? I have never heard of Georgia Tan. Good. Okay. Georgia Tan uh, from 1924 to uh, 1950 stole and sold an estimated 5,000 children. <gasps> she stole them from poor families in the Memphis, Tennessee area and would sell them to rich white families. She would often look for babies who had blonde hair, blue eyes, who were like desirable. Uh, and she would sell them for thousands of dollars to rich families, to movie stars, including Joan Crawford. Oh my God. She got her two twins from Georgia Tan, from the, uh, what is it? The Tennessee Children's Home Society in Memphis. Oh my God. <sighs> So the, the reason that I'm doing this story is because as horrible as it is, and it is absolutely terrible, and it's a sin that she got away with it as long as she did, Yeah, it was the main thing that popularized and made adoption okay. Oh. So there's like this weird, I mean, it's it's terrible and awful, and there's no getting around that, but there's this weird upshot to it, I guess, that like- yeah. Before that adoption was considered like very low class and you didn't do it because you didn't know where these children were coming from, especially if you were a wealth, a wealthy person. Yep. And it was something that was not, just not done. And so these poor children would just like live in orphanages forever. Yeah. yeah. And so she made adoption this sort of like highbrow, expensive, wealthy thing. Yeah. And so it kind of popularized adoption in the early 20th century. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I want to preface this by saying that the first time I heard about this was on one of my favorite podcasts, <laughs> Criminal with Phoebe Judge. She did a really great in-depth story on this. I'm not going to go that deep into it. And I'm kind—I'm going to hopefully look at it from a little bit of a different angle with the whole parenting aspect. Um, and hers was more about like the crimes that were committed. But if you want a really great story that kind of goes very in-depth, you should listen to Criminal. I think the episode is called Baby Snatcher. Ooh. Yeah, it's really great, and she does excellent research. And then I also got some info from a New York Post article 
And then there are also, there's a book. I will find the name of it and I will put it in the show notes because I don't have it in front of me. But I read a couple pages of this book as well. So lots of information about her. So let's start at the beginning. Georgia Tan was born in 1891 in Hickory, Mississippi, to uh, a father who was a district court judge. So from the beginning, she had she knew people in high places. Let's put it that way. Georgia really wanted a career in law like her father. But her father said that she needed a career that was more feminine because this is the early 1900s. Women didn't go into law. <laughs> she was forced to study music, which I don't think is that bad, but you know, she was not happy. <laughs> uh, and so for a short time she taught, but in 1916, she switched to a career in social work. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was as close as she could get to law. Uh, she was a field agent for the Mississippi Children's Home Finding Society in Jackson. And this is the first place where she sort of got a taste for um, the power that she would have uh, in her ability to place children in families that she deemed were acceptable parents. Huh. I think the theme that we see as we go through this story is that she sort of justified everything she did. Uh, she was from a wealthy background and she would justify what she did by saying that she was taking these children from poor families who wouldn't be giving these children the lives that they would deserve, I guess, in her mind, and was giving them to wealthy families who could give them these beautiful lives and everything that they need. So she was, in essence, doing them a favor. And beyond that, a lot of children died in her care. Oh, just want to throw that out there. So she, as much as she could try to justify to herself that she was doing them a favor, um, she was not always treating these kids the way they should be treated before they were sold out to whichever, you know, family yeah. adopted them. So we really can't uh, give her any props for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry, Georgia. It sounds like she gets no props. Like No, <laughs> she gets none. None. <laughs> but with the Mississippi Children's Home Finding Society in Jackson, she would place poor children in adoptive homes without the consent of both birth parents. So from, from what I gathered, I guess they would get consent from one birth parent and maybe not always both. And that was the issue there. So she wasn't yet stealing children, but I think it gave her the taste for she could sort of bend the law and get away with it. Mm -hmm. But she did get caught when she was in Mississippi. And uh, I think one of the birth families actually sued her. So she decided, okay, I got to get out of Mississippi and I have to go somewhere where I can do this and not get caught. So uh, she left Mississippi and she went to Tennessee and she started working for the Tennessee Children's Home Society in Memphis in 1924. And this is where her reign of terror sort of begins. My God. Because she successfully, I think I might have said this in the beginning, but from she successfully sold children without anybody. People knew what she was doing, but she did not ever get charges pressed against her or anything from 1924 to 1950. Oof. Right? Wild. <sighs> so long. That's long enough that the children that she initially did this to were grown-ups by the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is a book. I will get the names of all. There are quite a few books written about this. Um, there's a fiction book that somebody wrote oh. that is based on what she did, but it's a work of fiction. Yeah. Uh, and it, it follows a poor family whose child was stolen and a wealthy family who received an adopted child. Oh. And it, it follows both of their stories. And it's I did not read it, but I should. It's supposed to be very interesting. So I will put the name and author in the show notes. But she started by stealing 
babies from poor families who maybe she thought they have enough because, you know, the poor didn't have any contraception and they would have a lot of children. And so uh, maybe she thought, well, they have five children already. There's no way they can afford this sixth child. So, you know, they won't really miss it. I'm just going to take it, which is just awful. But she would also steal children or babies rather uh, straight from the hospital. Oh, yeah, because she had a lot of connections. So she would bribe nurses and doctors and they would take the baby from the mother and they would bring it to the nursery and make sure that the baby was okay and you know all the vitals were good and clean it up and then they would hand it over to one of her people who would uh, act as a social worker and take the baby and then they would go tell the mother that the baby was stillborn. I know. Oh my god. Tell me that these doctors and nurses had some consequences to this. Like some of them. Like Oh my god. I know, I know. Um, It's really bad. Uh, When complaints were made to the police, Georgia had a friendship with a very powerful tycoon, an occasional mayor. Oh, geez. E.H. Crump. Oh, what a name. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, And he was extremely powerful in Tennessee. And he would make sure that any complaints against her were immediately squashed and nothing ever made it to a criminal court. And she never had charges pressed against her. uh, And she was able to continue this basically her whole life. So she would steal children from families. She would steal children from the hospital. Sometimes instead of just stealing children, like, you know, when their parents weren't looking, she would trick mothers into giving her their children. Like there was an anecdote that they told on, on the podcast that there was a mother, her child was sick. And so Georgia kind of came over and said like, oh, I know this really great doctor who can diagnose her. It sounds like she's got, you know, this and that going on. And the poor mother didn't have money for a doctor. Yeah. So Georgia said, well, I'll take care of it. Um, Just give me the child. I'm going to take her over to, you know, such and such hospital and I'm going to make sure she's okay. Yeah. And time goes by and the mother, you know, doesn't hear back. And so she goes over to the hospital and she sees her daughter just like healthy and fine. And she says to one of the nurses, like, can I hold my baby? And the nurse says, you don't have a baby here. Oh. And she (sighs) never got her. She never got her daughter back. Goodness. I know. So she would she would sometimes outright trick people into giving their children away. Oh my goodness. I oh, know. How did that... Sorry guys. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is nuts. It is nuts and and she would adopt these children out to wealthy unassuming parents who had no idea this is what she was doing. Yeah. At least in the beginning had no idea. Yeah. And a lot of these parents when they found out were horrified. Yeah. But were too, they were too afraid to come forward because Georgia Tan had so much power that she would say, well, you're now an accessory. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll get in trouble too and they'll take your child away. And at this point, you know, they've raised this child and they're attached to this child. And yeah. so put these adopted parents in an extremely difficult place because they had no idea that this child was stolen. Yeah. And they paid thousands of dollars. I think uh, a lot of her money came from adoptive parents who were coming from out of state to adopt these children. And so they were willing to spend, I think, $5,000, which in today's money would be like $70,000 to get these children, I guess, shipped or they would come get them from out of state and and take them home. Jeez. I know. Oh, it's wild. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I had never heard of this until I listened to that podcast. And then when I started looking up the history of adoption, 
her name came up and I was like, how do I, why do I know this name? Yeah. And then I started listening or researching again and I was like, oh yes. Okay. This is that interesting <laughs> story that was like, it just absolutely floored me that this was allowed to go on for so long, but she had friends in high places. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, uh, and unfortunately, like I said, um, these children, uh, especially the newborns, when she stole newborns, were prone to dying because they weren't necessarily getting the proper care. Um, it's estimated that about 500 children died uh, oh. in her care, either through poor care or in some cases suspected abuse, because yeah. she would oftentimes place them in orphanages until she could find yeah. an adoptive family. So they would go to these orphanages and sometimes not be taken care of. Oof. Yikes. Which is really sad. Yeah. When some of these children got older, they tried, when they realized what had happened, they tried to find their birth parents. And I think somebody did an article about that as well. And I didn't dive too far into that because we only have so much time on this podcast. Yeah. But I think that there are some, there were some adults who realized they were part of this scheme as babies and yeah. tried to find their adoptive parents, which sounds like a very interesting story. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. That sounds like I, I would be fascinated to read one of those stories, just, you know, how I know. somebody's searching and trying to find their biological parents. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> and she was, she was not secretive about what she was doing. I mean, I, I don't think she blatantly said she stole children, but yeah. she would place ads in the newspaper <gasps> that would say like, do you want like a shiny present, a shiny uh, living, breathing present under your tree this Christmas? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> she was advertising like they were goods to be sold instead of like actual children. Yeah. It's also interesting that that form of advertising worked on people who were looking for children if you right? referred to them as if they were goods. <laughs> well, I, I but I think it's that idea that before this adoption was very hush hush and and yeah. you know taboo and all of a sudden she's bringing it into the forefront. And making it seem like something the wealthy want. It's shiny. It's new. It's yeah. it's this brand new child that's a blank slate that you can sort of, you know, imprint on or, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever you want. If you want a blonde, blue-eyed child, great. You want a green-eyed child? Like, she would, I guess, it was almost like the beginning of, like, designer children. Like, she, yeah. would, she would pick you out a child that you wanted, which Oof. is, like, crazy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Her scheme finally ended because uh, Crump was ousted. <laughs> and uh, his political rival, Gordon Browning, uh, was elected mayor. And when he caught wind of what was happening, uh, he decided to launch an investigation. But we do not, Jen, we do not get the uh, vindication that we want. And uh, unfortunately, Georgia Tan died of cancer a few days after the investigation began. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. So she never went to jail and she never really got in trouble. Oh. And two months later, the uh, Tennessee Children's Home Society shut its doors. Well, good. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. and, oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's really wild. What occurred to me as you were telling the story, especially about parents who lose their children in a hospital setting where she would go in and take them in the hospital. And it makes me think, obviously, that could never happen today. Um, well, it no, I'm sure it could still if you were a really, really, really good criminal, you could probably you'd probably get away with it. But like, the way she was doing it could only exist in that place in time, because 
there were women who were usually undergoing twilight sleep while they were in labor. So yep. they weren't really with it until hours after they had delivered the baby. So it'd be very easy to just say, oh, your baby was stillborn because they weren't really there for the birth of their babies. The husbands weren't there. They were sometimes not even at the hospital. And I think that we still had a very different view on children at that time. Like now, children are are just nothing is more sacred than a child. And and protecting children and unborn children is like this very, very powerful driving force for humans. But a hundred years ago, I don't think it was quite like that. It was no. they were still a commodity. And I don't think it was until children didn't work really that yeah <laughs> that that changed so you could have this scenario where you know this perfect storm where this could happen oh i know it's totally crazy and i think it shows the class struggles too that are i mean that are still prevalent today and maybe not to this degree but these poor families even when they knew this woman named georgia tan stole my baby. Mm -hmm. They did not have the money, nor did they have the resources yeah. to really fight her. Yeah, to do anything. They were terrified of her. Yeah. Oh. Because they had no recourse. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness we don't live in that time. <laughs> I know. Jeez. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's an absolutely horrible story, so I apologize if I brought everything <laughs> down today. <laughs> but after this, I think, is when adoption really took off. And obviously, there were some more precautions and uh, screening yep. processes that were put in place. Um, and I'm sure it was not perfect for a long time. And I think if we go down the adoption uh, rabbit hole, we'll find all sorts of crazy things that happened in the past. Yeah, I'm sure. But I think it was too much for one episode. So when I when I saw this name that that sort of struck a chord with me, I was like, let me just focus on her because I think it's it's a sad story, but it's an important story of what happens when we let somebody in power just sort of run away with that power that she has. So yeah, that is uh, that is the story of Georgia Tan and. Uh, all the babies that she took. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, but if we if we never learn history, we will never learn from history. So, That's right. As sad as it is, I think it's it's good to remember these that these things happened. These things that we would never believe could happen happened and she got away with it. Yeah. That's the incredible part and so we can't forget that. Yeah. We have to be vigilant for the Georgia Tans in the world. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we we just discovered that we have f oh, just over, we've just broken 500 downloads on our podcast. Woo! We are so proud. Thank yeah. you to everybody who listens and tells other people about the show. We're we're super happy about it. So we want to we want to celebrate. And so what we were thinking about doing was if you go to our to our Apple page where to our, you know, the podcast page in Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show and then send us a a screenshot showing that you rated and reviewed it we'll enter you into a raffle for some really cool fun stuff mm -hmm. and you know we'll we'll send you some send you some things we'll make sure that that it's properly disinfected before we send it to you oh yes oh yes 
<laughs> but we'll send you some we'll send you some cool stuff as a thank you for for helping us out with a review because that's that's a big part of getting big in podcast land. <laughs> yeah. Before you leave your review, do they send a screenshot to our email? What's the best way to do it? Oh yeah. Um so so before you hit complete or send or whatever it is on the review, just take a quick screenshot and then just uh just send it to our email which is opdwpodcast at gmail.com. And we love emails all the time about all different things. You can always drop us a line about your mom moments, your dad moments, your caregiver moments, and any topics that you're just dying for us to cover. We're happy to hear them out Mm -hmm. and get researching on your behalf to provide you with more hilarity. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And Diane, who's really killing it on our social media she's got us on instagram and on facebook you can find us um and, and on twitter not as not as big on not twitter, quite but... as active we're working on it <laughs> it's fine at opdw podcast is how you find us on those things and our music is by theo rosenberg so thank you theo thanks theo all right diane until next time don't buy stolen babies Ooh. <laughs>